Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, as we pause now to read your word, come and sit down beside us in these very pews and wrap your arms around us and show us new meaning in these pages and these words that we might have your insight like we've never had it before. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. The Old Testament reading is from the book of Joshua, found on page 226 in your pew Bible. We'll be reading the first chapter, verses 1 through 9. Listen now to the word of the Lord. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Thanks, Paul. I love that last verse, verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I love that last sentence because in this text, you know, Moses has been leading the people of Israel and now he is dead and, and God turns to Joshua, his servant, and says, now it's your turn, Joshua. It's your turn to lead the people into the promised land. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Our God is with us. No matter what trials or troubles we may go through, our God is with us. And so we can be strong and we can be courageous. On this 4th of July week, as we celebrate our nation's freedom, we have to recognize that we are a land of the free because of the brave, because of the courageous men and women who have responded to the call to serve our country. 
country and our armed forces. You know, this last Thursday, I was playing uh, golf with a few men in our church, and I got a chance to hang out with uh, Larry Wisenhunt, one of the newer members of our church, and he was telling me about serving in Vietnam uh, right after the 10 Offensive from 1968 to 1969. Vietnam, of course, was not the most popular war in our country, and yet many brave men and women followed the call of our country to go and serve, and so they courageously served and did their duty for our country, so that we might gather together freely and and worship God together. So if you have ever served in our military forces, please rise. We just want to thank God for your service to our country and the fact that we are able to worship God today. Thank you. My uh, dad was in the army. I have uh, all my uncles were in the military, and I have several cousins who served as well. Thank you so much for your service to our country. And you know, our, our country was founded with a, a commitment to religious freedom. We're able to gather here today because we have a country that, that's willing to fight for that freedom because of brave men and women like you. You know, the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights of our Constitution guarantees religious freedom for all of our citizens. In fact, George Washington, our nation's first president wrote to a Methodist bishop soon after his uh, election that it shall still be my endeavor to contribute whatever may be in my power towards the preservation of the civil and religious liberties of the American people. We are able to gather freely for worship every Sunday in this beautiful sanctuary because men and women throughout our nation's rich history have been willing to fight for our freedom. But not every country is as free as we are. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ have to worship behind closed doors in homes so they were not persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Many people are imprisoned or beaten simply because they follow Jesus. Here's a brief video that gives a glimpse of the persecution that Christians are now having to face around the world today. Millions of Christians worldwide are persecuted because of their faith. Every year, Open Doors publishes the World Watch List to focus the world's attention on the 50 countries where Christians face the greatest persecution. Here are the top five countries on the list, the most dangerous places on earth to be a Christian. Number five, Sudan. The government is determined that Sudan should become a fully Islamic country. Leaving Islam is punishable by death. In the north of the country, the government have imprisoned pastors and demolished churches, while in the south they are waging a war against the non-Arab, mostly Christian people. At least five Sudanese Christians were killed, and 12 were imprisoned for their faith in 2016. Number four, Pakistan. Christians faced more violence in Pakistan in 2016 than anywhere else in the world. Among the outrages, a bomb attack at Easter in Lahore killed at least 69 Christians. But the violence is ongoing. An estimated 700 Christian women and girls are abducted every year. The blasphemy laws are often used against Christians. If you are accused of having insulted Islam in any way, your life is in danger. Number three, Afghanistan. All Afghan believers are secret converts from Islam. Anyone who dares to leave Islam faces arrest and may even be killed by family members. The result is that there is no visible church. Only God knows how many secret believers there are in Afghanistan. Number two, Somalia. 
If you are even suspected of being a Christian in Somalia, you could be murdered on the spot. At least 12 secret Christians were killed last year. Christians face violence at the hands of the militant Islamist group Al-Shabaab, but also from family and local clan leaders. Number one, North Korea. North Korea is number one on the world watch list, as it has been every year since 2002. To follow Jesus in this country is to risk imprisonment, torture and death. The regime considers Christians enemies of the state. Tens of thousands of Christians are incarcerated in horrific labour camps, while thousands more keep their faith a complete secret, often even from their own family. Even so, underground churches are growing, and in secret the gospel is spreading. Despite all this, the persecuted church is not merely surviving. It is living, growing and continuing to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. But as persecution increases, persecuted believers need the support of their family, the body of Christ, to help them stand firm in their faith. Today, your voice, your prayers, your gifts are more vital than ever before. Open Doors is a wonderful international ministry that our church has been supporting for years through prayer and finances. In fact, we, we give over $10,000 a year as a part of our missions budget to help support the persecuted church around the world because we want to do all that we can to help our brothers and sisters around the globe who are facing persecution. As we continue our journey through the book of Acts, we will see that once again the church is persecuted. In fact, from the church's very beginning, it has faced persecution. So how did the first century church respond to persecution? And what can we learn from their response today? To find out, I would encourage you to open your pew Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 5. It may be found on page 1161, Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 12, page 1161. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you so much for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ and the freedom we have to assemble here today. Oh God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who inspired Luke to put pen to paper so that we might have an orderly account of the first century church, that we might see how they responded to persecution and we might learn the lessons you want us to learn. Oh God, we pray that now as we read your words, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that might be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your Holy Word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Acts chapter five, beginning with verse 12. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on the cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed." But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. 
And when they'd heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. And when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this could come to. And someone came out and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in, this, in, his, in his name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thudius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took this advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, the original Greek word for beat here can also be translated as flogged. In fact, the New American Standard Version of the Bible, the NIV and the NRSV, all translate this Greek word as flogged. To be flogged in the first century by Jewish officials was a severe whipping that would rip at your flesh. These whippings would often lead to an affection, and people were known to die from these types of floggings in the first century. And in Deuteronomy chapter 25, Jews are told that they are not to flog anyone anyone more than 40 times. And the oral Jewish traditions taught that the people should be flogged in sets of three. And so usually a person was flogged 39 times, 40 minus one. Now, when I was a little boy growing up and I misbehaved, and I, I didn't misbehave quite a bit, uh, you know, I would get spanked with a leather belt. And, and it would hurt, but it didn't rip at my flesh. It just left my bottom real red for a while. 
And it would be hard to sit down maybe for a few moments, but I got over it. I, I never, you know, uh, cried for too long. But I, I guarantee you, I never walked away rejoicing from my beating. But in verse 41, we read that that's exactly what the apostles did. It says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Can you believe that they've taken a flogging, the type of beating that Jesus received? You know, uh, 40 lashes minus one. 30 times were they flogged. 39 times flogged, ripped at their flesh, bloodied and beaten. And rather than going home and licking their sores and crying and saying, God, why, why? They, they go and rejoice, praising God that they were found worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Why did they rejoice in the midst of their suffering? I think this video about the persecuted church in Iran will help shed some light on this question. Iran is actually number eight on the world watch list of places where Christians are persecuted the most. In Iran, many would say there is no religious freedom, and that's despite the fact that Iran has, within its own constitution, a commitment to respecting religious freedom. Many people in the West are surprised to hear that in much of the Middle East, the majority of pressure against Christians comes from members of their own families. The night that our family discovered that I'm a Christian and my wife is a Christian, they kicked us out of the house. For some time, we didn't have any place and we were sleeping on the streets. Even though the Iranian government does guarantee some rights for minority religions, in practice, conversion to Christianity is considered to be a political insult. Government and religion are the same in Iran. So when you change religion, in one way you're saying, I'm rejecting your leadership in my life. The Iranian government won't tolerate any form of opposition or any form of grouping which is considered a threat to the Islamic Republic. Christian house churches must stay undercover. The government sends infiltrators to join and befriend Christians in order to gather information. House church leaders must be extremely careful to keep their members' identities secret because anyone might be a spy. A girl who was a member of our church was engaged to a person who was a secret police agent. And through her, he got my phone number and my address. That guy threatened me to kill me by knife. He told me, I will put your body in the streets. The Iranian government imposes harsh punishments for anyone discovered to be a Christian using violent tactics to pressure them to convert to Islam. They handcuffed me, and after that, he asked me about other believers. I told him, I'm not going to tell you anything about anyone else. And they said, ah, you, you want to become a hero? And they started to beating me. They bound my hands and hung me from the ceiling. Then they took a cable and started to beat me with that cable. I never imagined that I could scream like that. I had lots of pain in my body. After some time, a person came with a paper in his hand. He gave me a pen and he asked me to write on the paper that I'm Muslim. I didn't do it. 
I didn't sign the paper that I'm a Muslim. He told me, you're going to return back to the same place you were and I'm not sure if this time you can come back alive. Thankfully, Ali was finally released when his father went to the Iranian government with the help of a lawyer. Today I'm happy because I believe that God chose me to be beaten for him. God permitted that situation to happen to me so I emerged victorious. It's my pleasure you know, to be persecuted for my Lord. I, I really want the Western people to know that God is working here. They really need to know about Jesus. They really need to know that God exists and loves them. My prayer is that there's wisdom um, to give the people of Iran what they need, not just for salvation, but to build his church. Christian believers in Iran continue to place their hope and trust in God. They ask for our prayers as they bravely share Christ with their families and neighbors. God is moving and the church is growing. Please, continue to pray for God's grace and endurance for the followers of Jesus in Iran. May their faithfulness reveal the love and truth of Jesus to everyone they come in contact with and bring hope to Iranians and to their land. There's a powerful quote uh, from Ali there. He says, God permitted that situation to happen to me, so I emerged victorious. As Ali was being beaten and being uh, interrogated and receiving great uh, consequences for his faith in Jesus Christ, he had to lean into his faith to ask God for strength, and and God strengthened him in that moment, and and he felt God's presence, and he was able to overcome. The other young man said, it is my pleasure to be persecuted for my Lord. Just like the apostles rejoice after receiving the flock that they were found worthy to suffer and dishonor for the name of Jesus, so these men from Iran are are grateful that they were found to be faithful, faithful enough to experience that type of suffering. The persecution of the apostles, the persecution they suffered allowed them to demonstrate their full faith in Jesus Christ. As their faith was tested, they were proven to be faithful. And this hasn't always been the case for these apostles. If you remember when we went through the Gospel of Luke, the night that Jesus is betrayed and arrested, the disciples scatter in fear. And in fact, that very night, Peter denies knowing Jesus three times before the cock crows. But now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as their faith is being tested, they remain faithful. And with great boldness, they continue to preach the good news about Jesus. Despite the fact they've been warned not to preach, they continue to boldly preach the good news about Jesus. Now, the Greek word for preach here in verse 42 is eogaliso. It, it, uh, it's the, it, we get the English word evangelize from eogaliso. Eogelion is the good news, gospel. Eogaliso is to preach the good news. The eogalistus, evangelist, is the person who would bring good news. It literally means eogaliso, to proclaim good news. The NIV actually translates verse 42 this way. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped pre- teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The apostles knew that they had good news for all of the world to hear. And so despite the imprisonment and the floggings, they continued to preach and proclaim the good news. The good news that God loves us so much that in spite of our sin, he sends his one and only son, Jesus, 
who's without sin, here to this earth to, to teach us, to heal us, and ultimately to die for us so that our sins might be atoned for once and for all. I love the way the apostle John writes about it in his letter to 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, 10, 9 and 10, where he states, And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us. Not that God, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I like the way Eugene Peterson translates propitiation. It's kind of, not the kind of word we use a lot. It means atonement for our sins. But Eugene Peterson in 1 John 4, 9, 10 in the message translates it this way. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God. It wasn't because we loved God that God sent his son. No, it's because God loved us first. Yes, he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. The apostles had good news to share and ultimately their suffering strengthened their witness. Can you imagine as they would tell others about the the suffering that Jesus endured, the, the whipping and the beating and ultimately the crucifixion and then they could raise up their robe and show them the stripes on their own back that they have endured because of their faith in Jesus. When you're willing to suffer in the name of Jesus, your faith becomes that much more real not only to you but to those who will hear your testimony. No one doubted the sincerity of the the apostles' testimony because they were willing to suffer for that testimony, for their faith. In fact, Tertullian, one of the earliest church fathers from the second century, writes as he noticed all of the different persecution that was happening to the church around him, he says, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. Historically, the more the church has been persecuted, the more it has actually grown. As people have seen people willingly die for the name of Jesus, everyone who has observed this has wondered, who is this Jesus that these people are willing to die for? Why is it that they pray for their enemies right before death? Why is it they're willing to suffer and die for this man named Jesus? And that question leads them to explore and discover who Jesus really is, the Savior of the world. In fact, as we'll see in a few weeks, when Stephen is stoned for his faith in Jesus, there is an exodus of Christians that leave Jerusalem so they might spread the good news of the gospel to to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Yes, the same thing is actually happening today. As radical Muslims kill Christians in places like Egypt, Syria, and Iraq, they are forced to flee. In fact, the political unrest and violence caused by ISIS is now forcing many Muslims to seek refuge in Europe and the United States. Did you know that over the last five years, 2,700 refugees have come to the city of Amarillo? 2,700. In fact, Texas is the state that receives the most refugees in all of the United States. And for us to receive 2,700, well, that's 1.37% of our population. We have the highest uh, refugees per capita of any city in the state of Texas. And we've been willing to receive them so that we might love them, love them and tell them the good news of Jesus. It's the biggest percentage of refugees over the last five years who've come to Texas are actually from Burma or Myanmar. Myanmar is almost 90% Buddhist. They're number 28 on the watch list of countries that are known for persecuting Christians. Here's a brief video that tells you about Myanmar and what God's doing there and how the church is being persecuted.
Christian in Myanmar, also known as Burma, is extremely difficult. About 90% of the people practice Buddhism, while only 4% of the population are believed to be Christian. Extremist Buddhists persecute religious minorities because their teachings on what they believe to be true are threatened. Pastor Meng has found following Jesus to be especially challenging. He's faced starvation, been attacked, and had his church shut down. Once expelled, new Christians turn to the church because they don't have anywhere else to live. Government opposition and extreme poverty make it especially difficult for pastors to provide for their families. Another leader, Pastor Vang, started building a church, but the government continues to prevent it from completing. We cannot process our building construction all of our family, my wife and the family home, always crying. So we are asking question God, why it happened to us? We pray that God will complete our construction. We need a lot of prayers because, uh, you know, uh, prayer changes things and things changes people. There are a lot of Burmese in Amarillo. In fact, I understand they have their own uh, mosque and their own uh, Buddhist temple where they gather together. If we were in Burma or Myanmar, it would be very difficult for us to preach the gospel. But now that they're here in Amarillo, Texas, in the United States, where we're free to preach the good news of Jesus, we have an opportunity to speak the truth of God's love into their lives. That begins with a relationship. It begins by us doing all that we can to love our neighbor as ourselves, to welcome them, to encourage them, and help point them to Jesus. The country that provides the second largest number of refugees to the state of Texas today is actually Iraq. It is very difficult, as you know, to be a Christian in Iraq, particularly with all that ISIS has done in recent uh, history. With all that ISIS has has been doing, not only are Christians fleeing Iraq, but even many Muslims are fleeing. And they're beginning to question their faith in Islam because ISIS is doing all of its violence in the name of Islam. And so people are beginning to wonder, and they're coming here to Texas Here's a brief, and this is my last video, brief video on Iraq and what God is doing there, what's happening today. More than 50 members of ISIS were waiting for us.
It was a Friday when we left Mosul. It was July 18th. Christians had only till Saturday to leave Mosul. Uh, they said for Christians, either pay a fee, be Muslims, or otherwise be killed if they don't flee Mosul. <laughs> when we arrived at the checkpoint, more than 50 members of ISIS were waiting for us. They said, uh, Nasrani people, meaning Christians, you are welcome. Either we butcher you now, or you become Muslims. They took every single thing we had. They didn't even leave one dinar. At that point, my sister became very angry. And, and they decided to kill her. She started begging. Please have mercy on us. My sister is disabled. One member of ISIS hit my sister's leg really hard and broke it. Um, once we arrived in, in Erbil, we went to the hospital. I did not know what to think, where to live, where to go, what to do with my family. I contacted my friend and we were very happy that they had this house. Iraq is number seven on the world watch list of most difficult places for Christians to live today. Our church's missionaries, Greg and Chris Callison, actually are serving in northern Iraq among the Kurdish people, helping all of these refugees find a, a new way to live and to let them know the good news of Jesus. Now, I don't know how many Iraqis are actually in Amarillo, but I know that it's a lot easier for us to preach to them the good news about Jesus here in Amarillo than it would be for us to go to their native land where the church is actively being persecuted. My brothers and sisters, the good news is that the world is coming to Amarillo. It is not that hard for us to fulfill the great commission of making disciples of all nations. When they come to us, the question is, are we willing to greet them and welcome them and love them and tell them the good news of Jesus? I know with so many refugees coming to Amarillo and many immigrants coming to Amarillo, it's, it's to strain on our school system. I don't question that. I understand that. In fact, East Ridge Elementary uh, has 24 uh, languages spoken in that one school alone. It's very difficult for teachers to, to be able to teach when there's 24 different languages from different refugees and immigrant groups. And I understand our emergency response system has a hard time managing people calling in from 911 with different uh, dialects and different languages. And I know it's very hard. And we've got some great uh, political leaders like Mac Thornberry and Ford Price and others who are working on how, to, how can we manage the inflow. But those who are here, we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves, to point them to Jesus the unconditional, sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. If you want to share Jesus with an immigrant, I would encourage you to get involved in our ESL ministry. Every week, Will Essler, Ann Scamhorn, and others go to Paladura High School where they help teach English as a second language. 
Or you can join us as we did this last week, serving at Margaret Wills Elementary and San Jacinto Elementary, leading vacation Bible school for for these needy children in some of the neediest communities within our city where many immigrants uh, live. Yes, there are many opportunities for us to help minister to the refugees and the immigrants in our community. In fact, we're exploring an opportunity to partner with East Ridge Baptist Church. If you'd like to know more about that and how you can reach the East Ridge community, which is the most diverse ethnically uh, community in our, neighbor, in our neighborhood, in our community, talk to Will Esler or talk to Murray Gossett after the service. My brothers and sisters, as a church, we have a wonderful opportunity to egoliso, to preach the good news, to proclaim the good news to those who are who are in need of good news for those who are very far from God today. Yes, we have a great opportunity. We, yes, it's a strain on us, but let us not lose sight of the opportunity God has given to us to tell them about Jesus. And as they've asked us, let's pray. Let's pray for the persecuted church around the world. You may have noticed that as you came in in your pews, there's these little trifolds that are seated there. We're gonna take a time to have a little concert of prayer. We pray for all the needs uh, of the different churches. I'm gonna pray specifically for Iran, Myanmar, and Iraq. And then we're gonna have some time of silence where you can pray for whatever country God lays on your heart. This is put, is put together by uh, Open Doors Missions, and, and this is a wonderful opportunity to learn about ways you can pray. In fact, they create one for every month, for every, uh, all the countries uh, every month, a new prayer list. I'm gonna lead us in a time of prayer. I'm gonna say some prayers, and then we're just gonna have some time of silence. And then I will close us in the Lord's Prayer. As we pray for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted around the world, but also as we pray that God might give us the opportunity and the boldness to tell others the good news about Jesus, those who have come from very far away to make their home here in Amarillo. May we welcome them, may we love them, may we point them to Jesus. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you again for the freedom that we have in this country to assemble here in this beautiful sanctuary to worship you. And we recognize, O Lord, that many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world do not have the same freedom. They must meet under the cover of darkness, for they face very real persecution. So God, we lift up the persecuted church to you today. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen them, that you would embolden them, that you would care for them, that you would watch over them, that you would protect them, that you'd give them wisdom on how they can continue to fulfill the Great Commission and continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus to others and be able to do so in a way that would allow them to live in the abundant life you've called them to to experience the new life you've given to each one of us in Jesus, our Savior. Oh, Lord, this morning we lift up Iran specifically. We pray for Christians in Iran who daily suffer persecution from their own families and communities because of their faith. We pray for Christians in Iran's prisons to have genuine love for their guards and fellow inmates. We pray that the persecuted Christians would share the hope of Christ with other persecuted minorities. We pray for Cezanne, who is an Iranian and who will be in our church uh, the first uh, Sunday of October as he comes to share about what you're doing in Iran and how through satellite television and, and satellite radio you are able to bring the gospel to Iranians, that thousands of people are coming to Christ through this satellite ministry. Lord, we also lift up Myanmar to you. Lord, we know that the Bible has the ability to soften the hardest of hearts. So we pray that many would receive the word of God as truth in Myanmar and have it transform them. We pray that Christians will remain faithful despite the challenges in Myanmar. We pray that Pastor Ming's testimony would bear witness to the authority of Jesus in his life. We pray that you would provide opportunities for all of us to share the gospel with the Burmese in Amarillo today. And Lord, we lift up Iraq to you. 
We pray for all the families in Iraq who have lost everything. Help them to remain strong in their stance to represent Jesus no matter the cost. Help them to rebuild their lives. We pray, Lord, that you will use the remaining Christians in Iraq to bring many people to Christ as many traditional Muslims begin to question their faith in light of all that ISIS has done. And Lord, we we pray for our enemies as you call us to. We pray for ISIS. Lord, we pray that you convert them by the power of your Holy Spirit. You would take the scales off their eyes and they would see what they're doing is very wrong and they'd recognize that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. They would bow their knee to him and repent from their evil ways. And Lord, we pray that your presence may be made known to all those who have suffered. We also pray for our missionaries, Chris and Greg Callison, as they look for a new ministry center. Help them to find just the right place to do ministry. Provide for them so they might have a home of refuge for, for those who are struggling, who are trying to start their life anew. Lord, these are just some of the countries we lift up now. Lord, in the quietness of this moment, we, we pray for the countries that you lay on our hearts. Lord, we're thankful that you are a God who invites us to pray. You welcome our prayers. For we know that prayer changes things. It changes us. It makes us more mindful of who you are and what you're doing in the world and and how we might be an instrument of your grace. So God, I pray that you would help us as we've seen the suffering around the world that make us more mindful of the persecuted church. Help us to pray for them daily. Help us to make that commitment. And help us to be mindful of the opportunities that we have here in Amarillo to minister to refugees and immigrants who have come a a long way. As they try to make their home in Amarillo, Lord, help us to love them with the love of Christ. Help us to point them to the unconditional, sacrificial love that we find in Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in the strong and precious name of your Son, who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.